welcome to Rebels on Purpose, a truth-telling podcast where we explore what it means to live boldly with purpose, on purpose. Through real conversations, we anchor radical curiosity, awareness, and love as fundamental tenets of our lives. We commit to relentlessly calling ourselves and one another up through presence, openness, and saying what needs to be said. This show is our way of calling a modern day circle where we focus on freedom, truth, joy, and the celebration of being fully alive. Please join me, Lindsay Nazan, and my bestie, Jamie Matiasen, as we explore the fruits revealed to us through a devoted practice of soul inquiry as we journey towards our sacred responsibility. Right. Hey, Linz. Hey, James. How's it going? It's going all right. Happy to be back. Happy to be back. Yeah, we had a nice little break. You yes. went to Arizona. You went to Costa Rica. Yeah, got a little sun, vitamin D. Yeah, you did. Apparently, I. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it was uh, strangely colder than it was in Victoria while I was in Arizona. It was the oddest experience. Yeah, lots of people went down there for cycling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it happened to be the busiest weekend in Phoenix, Arizona that I ever we could have ever traveled there. The Super Bowl was happening, unbeknownst oh, to us, because we're not sport people. Super Bowl's oh. happening. So half the plane is Super Bowl fanatics. And then the other yes. half of the plane was um the Arizona, the Phoenix Open, which is like one apparently one of the mm-hmm. largest golf tournaments in the world. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. There's like little Ari and I sitting amidst all these people, ah. all their swag on, and they're like cheering for, you know, <laughs> freaking Kansas or whatever, whoever was in the Super Bowl. And then just like aliens. Oh, gosh, it was quite funny. Yeah. So when we went to the shopping center in, um, in Arizona, where Ari's mom lives, the shelves were barren. It was like they'd been pillaged. Yeah. Super Bowl. Um. <laughs> super bananas for super bowl like it's so right. easy i mean i know it's the biggest sport event la 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 but there was yeah, nothing on the shelves it was like like no snacks to be found like, yeah yeah alcohol oh. snacks balloons like everything was like bought everybody bought everything chicken wings wow. yeah so <laughs> chicken, wings. chicken wings and nachos gotta have the barbecue <laughs> Well, I used to go to stu- i used to do monday night football parties when i lived in vancouver so it's i'm all about that Right. Yeah, I get it. I totally get it. It's all about the snacks. Yeah. It's all about the snacks and when your favorite team is playing, but otherwise it's just social and snacks. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I can get into it. Like if I'm with a group right. and a crowd, you know, even if I don't even particularly oh, yeah. care about the teams, like I can get into it, but I don't know. Super Bowls, it's just, it's too much of all the things talking about, talking about our topic for today. It's just kind of like, it's just sort of very, right. yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're we're back for our third Yama. Yeah. So why don't you why don't you start sharing kind of what what this Yama means to you? Oh gosh. Well, uh I think that Steya, first I guess I'll share a little bit about what what the word connotes to me. When I think about Asteya you know, the word in Sanskrit breaks down to non, which is the A and the, like, ah, and then steya is, you know, robbery or theft, essentially, um, or taking something private from, you know, something that doesn't belong to you. Yeah. 
Um, and what I like about that breakdown in the wording is that it's not just about things. It's not about stealing just things from mm-hmm. like clothing or a car or, you know, whatever it's, this expands into so many areas of our lives, like time, you can steal time, you can steal opportunity, you can steal energy. Um, there's so many facets of it that I never necessarily looked at before mm-hmm. learning about this pillar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was equally validating for me and terrifying to learn about it because of course I've realized how much I steal inadvertently, not on purpose, in thinking that I'm being generous, for example, you know, <laughs> like oversharing can mm. be stealing. <laughs> right. right? Like in this, in the spirit of like giving more of myself, I would steal from someone's experience of sh- them sharing or, or just the energy it took to listen to my sharing or, you know, whatever. And that can become uh, a, a type of stealing. And so it was, re- it was really, interesting for me to really discover how many layers of that were happening, even in subtle ways. Yeah. And then on the validating side, you know, I grew up the youngest sibling in a single family household, like being heard was not something that happened for me. Yeah. And I was stolen from constantly by people around me. Like there's a funny story at the, the dinner table of my household as a kid, where I would tried to tell the story about this bunny rabbit. And I would say the bunny and I would start to tell the story and I would get interrupted. Mm. And then everybody would laugh and I would laugh because that's what you do when you're the little sister. And then I would attempt to tell the story again. And then they would all just wait. And then they would interrupt me again. And it probably would go like 15 times before I would clue in, Oh, they're doing this on purpose. They're actually teasing me now. Yes. It's not really about them having something to say it's about them just stealing my opportunity to tell the story because they think it's funny. And, you know, it, when I was little, when this happened, I was probably six or seven years old, but as I grew up, I never, ever got over that story. And my brothers for years would reference it. Mm. Maybe like the bunny, like if I was trying to say something and it wasn't coming out properly, (laughs) they would say that. And I used to get so angry on the inside. I wouldn't always express it. Yeah. And then eventually I think I said something and I, you know, I was like, that doesn't actually make me feel good. It's not funny. I don't like it. You know, like it really bothers me. (laughs) I'm going to tell the truth now. Exactly. Like, (laughs) Uh, so, you know, I mean, that's just, that is a seemingly small example, but, um, I have bigger examples too, of times when it really mattered that I, that I speak and Mm. I was, I was talked over, like even in therapy settings where I was in therapy with peers and I would just sit back and receive their talking. And I wouldn't say anything because I would just get railroaded every time, either with their story being more severe than mine or their success being better than mine, or, you know, so much competition growing up and just by the nature of, of how it went, I guess. And I got really I I internalized a lot of that as a kid and then made that mean that I was too much all the time. So I should just never say anything. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, theft from oneself is, is definitely a piece of this, right. That letting your boundaries be violated or, you know, taking the back seat when you need to actually be in the front. And those are, those are qualities that we, we, 
we place a lot of value in, in our culture of like the selflessness of those things. And they are damaging. They, it takes a long time to undo that. And that goes niceness as well, right? Like all those pieces are kind of tied together. And I, I really feel like this, when I think about this, the concept of non-stealing, you know, that the actual physical theft of things is like not really on my radar. <laughs> so it's such a small piece of this, but in the literal sense, that's kind of what we think of when we say non-stealing. Um, but this really, when I've thought about that, I'm like, well, what is the root of this, this tenant for me? And it really comes back to a lack. Like, why, why would I steal? Like, what, what is the, what is happening in my life where this becomes an issue that I need to look at? And it, it always comes back to this friggin' lack again, like of not enough or not good enough or, um, comparison, right? These are all forms of not enoughness. And so I think, I feel like that was kind of a big part of my journey with, with this tenant was, um, looking at why I was actually engaging in, in, in that act and not, not from the perspective of like, I'm taking people's stuff, but really it was, it was like trying to find a place, um, for myself in it, but stepping over, over top of people or, um, like you said, you know, like overcoming these kind of internalized things that we've learned as we've grown up of like how to get attention or how to be seen in our lives. And it, the pendulum kind of goes for me, it went way to the other side of like, not too muchness, but not any awareness in any of it of just trying to grab things, you know, and that, that is the the piece. And then again, I just look at how much this connects to Satya and Himza, like these three pieces together. I think for me, these three tenants form probably like 90% of the transformation I've had in my life in, in the last decade, I would say for sure. Yeah, I would agree that when I was reading over preparing for this podcast, that was my thought was like this triad, mm -hmm. uh, you know, nonviolence, truth and non-stealing are the, it's the paradigm within which I have really navigated my life over the last decade. Yeah. And so I, you know, I'm constantly um, ping ponging and sort mm -hmm. of reverberating inside of that triangle of those three uh, tenants and mm -hmm. asking myself how I can be in, in greater alignment with them and understanding how others not being in alignment with them is banging up against my, my being. Yeah. Yep. And I think Estea has been a really big one in the early days. It was a himsa. Like I couldn't understand why people were so mean. <laughs> like I had a lot of a stuff around that, the meanness of, of others and just the world at large, like that, that mean reality. Yeah. Uh, but in more latter times in my practice with this, I found that the stealing is infuriating to me. Mm. <laughs> it's been really hard mm. uh, to navigate. Like, uh, others stealing from you, like taking, taking that space. Yeah. Others and not even others stealing from me, but witnessing the stealing going on between oh. others, like it, totally. for example, holding circle and like watching stealing happen in the circle amongst mm -hmm. other people or, you know, um, just in politics, watching that type of theft yeah. happening, the theft of the truth, the theft of, uh, the benefit of the doubt, like all of these things that I'm seeing, I'm seeing in the world. And I think that, um, was a struggle for me. And one of the things that I think I needed to understand about it is that, 
you know, a stay at is intentional theft. That's what makes it a problem is it's one thing to not be aware. Like when I was oversharing, I wasn't aware that I was taking, potentially taking from someone's experience of wanting to connect and share their side. I was doing it from this, this unaware place at that time, right? It was a wounded place and, um, an insecure place. And, but once I recognized that that was what was happening, then it becomes a stay up because then it's like, okay, you're doing it now knowingly. And Mm -hmm. if you're not taking an action to move away from that, at least to recognize you're doing it and own it, well, then it's a problem. Then that's when it's infuriating to me. Right. (laughs) well, yeah. And I mean, I think that's one of the the main parts of this for me when I think about Asteya is it really demonstrates a lack of compassion when you are, when you are taking, you know, and you're grabbing and you are, um, it, you know, this is a piece of, that's really, really come to surface for me as that I'm seeing in the world of like this individualist kind of point of view in the world of like, how can I get more of the things I need? How do I get myself further in the world? And I know this is not a new phenomena, but I've had so many experiences in the in the last little while. And I think, you know, the pandemic really amplified that, or maybe it amplified my awareness of it, of, you know, going to the grocery store and you can't find a box of pasta because there is this greed and this lack of seeing of, of the other. So I, I really feel like that is a big part of the the foundation of this tenant is to to trust that and to actually see that we're part of a community, we're part of the planet, we're part of this whole system of beings. And if we if we don't open up our lens to see that and really see where we fit into that, not just I am going here and I am going there and I need this and I want that. And the desire is what drives this, right? It's like I want want, want. And that's when we get into greed and greed has a big part of this. And, you know, that between that and then the the feeling of lack and scarcity, like when those two things come together, it is a very large monster. Like it, it really can blind you to see the other. And I really feel like that's a big piece of, of something we have to, we have to kind of look at in our world right now. Like, I'll give the example of when I was in Costa Rica. I don't know if I, did I tell you the story about the people on the shuttle? Yes. Yeah. So this was a perfect example of us getting on a shuttle at five o'clock in the morning, 10 people trying to organize our luggage. And two of the guests there just said, well, we're getting on, we have a flight. And I was like, well, hold your horses, lady. Like we all have a flight. That's why we're standing here in the pitch black in Costa Rica, getting on a, a shuttle. It, it really, like, I just got super activated by this. Like, if we just came together in our community and we actually looked at this together and you didn't try to steal and make your life more important than my life and everybody else who's standing here, we would actually have a little bit more of a joyful experience here. We would we would be able to move this thing forward without people feeling alienated and that division between all of us. Right. So I had to sit in the car on the way there. And like, I had a fake fight with them in my head of all the things I wanted to say to them about how they were the problem in the world. And (laughs) so I had the fake fight and then I was like, okay, now draw back to you, draw back to you. What is this activating in you? And that's like the triad you were talking about is like these, these wounds in us that get activated in these things is like that person, they think they're more important than me, which isn't necessarily true, but their behavior was demonstrating that their life needed to come before the other eight people standing there. And I just, 
I just, I really struggle with that right now. I'm really having a really hard time being in the world with that. And I mean, the, the antidote for me in my life is to just keep calling circles of people who want continue to see each other. And hopefully that gives us a little bit of reprieve, but it, it's everywhere right now. It just feels like it's everywhere. And maybe I'm just more aware of it now because I'm looking at it, but I don't know. I, it's so damaging to me. It just, it really, it breaks my heart. It's yeah really hard to watch. It's really hard to, to navigate. It is really heartbreaking when you can have perspective to see what it actually is creating, like the result that it is creating, which is this polarization and divisiveness and separation and individual, like hyper individuation. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's so, it is so damaging as you said, because it, it pulls us away from our nature. Right. Our nature is to be in communion with one another, to be connected, to help and support and live in reciprocity. And that is the, ultimately what Astea is asking for, is for us to, to live in reciprocity with ourselves, with others, with the earth, right? And um, that example is, is like the perfect example of how when you don't see people because you're too busy seeing you're looking at yourself your own agenda your own lane your own flight your own travel path i gotta 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 you miss the entire experience of your life you could have made some lifelong friends on that shuttle right you know like there's so much cool stuff that could have happened but because they were not seeing anything outside of that tunnel vision of their own selfishness they missed it and the and- gra- graspiness of like not enoughness that oh. there isn't enough for all of us. Like there isn't enough resource in front of us for us all to get our needs met, you know, in this moment, like that to me, there's these amazing opportunities in those moments where we get to learn who we are in the world and how we can be in communion with, with the others in the world and find out what we're actually here to do. You know, like I it was so aware, I was so aware in that moment of like, oh yeah, most people aren't actually looking at this shit. Most people, this isn't even on their radar. They're not, they don't have the capacity even because they haven't done any of the work to look at like that this is actually a problem, that this is actually the norm right now. This is the kind of the world that we live in right now. And that is also troubling. And also it gave me a little bit of space to exhale. Like, oh yeah, like if you don't look at these opportunities as places where we get to unfold and we get to crack open and we get to receive the messages that are coming for us to learn how to live in, in, in harmony with this and in alignment with these tenants, of course, you're not going to like, you're not going to get it. You're just, so I had a little bit of compassion. And when he saw me at the airport, one of the guys, he thought I was waving at him, but I was waving at my other friend who was walking in front of him. And he thought I was waving at him and he gave me a thumbs up and I was like, Oh Lord, he doesn't even get it. <laughs> but okay. Yeah. Thumbs up. I guess everything's cool. But that was also another moment of like, oh God. I looked at the, like the world is falling apart in front of me and like, this is everything that's wrong with the world. And oh my God, how are we going to survive? What are my children going to do? And he was like, thumbs up, man. We all made it. <laughs> yeah. Team effort. We did it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I did actually physically say to them, I said, all this is, is a conversation. This is just a conversation to to solve a problem, but they were already in the shuttle, like right in the back. So it was just, it's one of those things. It's like the grabbiness of, of this in, in our world right now is definitely that's where this, this is living in me right now. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting what you said about the fact that the norm is this example you've provided is the norm. When you merge into traffic, five people budge in front of you because everyone thinks they deserve to go ahead. Like it's, this is the norm. And the exception is, is people having the foundations to be able to actually see that this work is needed, let alone do it themselves. Uh, yeah. You know, it's one thing to be all righteous and call it out and, and say it, <laughs> another to, to face yourself inside of it and recognize yeah. you are part of it as we are. And I think the other piece to what you said, which I think Deb addresses in her book quite beautifully is talking about this idea of burden, you know, when life hands us this challenge, okay, there's eight people and there's 800 bags of luggage and there's huge bicycles to load on this shuttle and it's 5am and we have to be there in half an hour. We're not getting our, you know, we're not getting our flight. It's like, is this a problem? <laughs> you know, can we work to actually get where we want to go? Or are we just going to work for ourselves to keep our MO of me, myself and I, and yeah. Um, the amount of energy that is spent to to maintain that individuation or yeah. individualism is, is so wasteful energetically. And so that in and of itself is a huge form of stealing, right? It's yeah. stealing from all, it's stealing from the world. It's stealing from everybody there. It's stealing from every possible like connection point. Yeah. But I think what she talks about beautifully is like, most of these experiences that we, that we look at and have, you know, when the person merges and budges in front of you, the second or third car budges in front of you is like, what are you going to do with that? Are mm -hmm. we going to take it in as a opportunity to reflect yeah. on ourselves? Are we going to, are we going to project out? And I mean, obviously we all project out. It's like, we're human beings and we get, I, did, I did both. <laughs> yeah. Right. You do both. And so because it's also a matter of like, I'm calling this out. This is not acceptable. Well, that, that was actually, that was the main driver because we everyone was standing there thinking it and everybody had their eyebrows raised and everybody was not had a cup of coffee yet. Like, and I just said what needed to be said in the moment. And it was a little sharp, I admit, but um, it needed to be said. And the disrespect around all of it for me is like, that that part of it is like I'm going to shine a light here, and then when I get in here, I'm going to look at my shit around this too. Yeah, yeah. But I'm also going to put something in the circle here for you to maybe look at and reflect on because there are other people here, including a driver who doesn't speak English, and um, a concierge who also didn't speak very much English. Right. So we were they were trying to help, and it was just being bowled over, and just yeah, it was it was really it was just one of these. It, experiences and travel has really shown those experiences to me a lot lately. Yeah. 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 And it is, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to connect mm -hmm. in those moments when, when we're up against something hard or challenging. I mean, that's not even a hard thing. No, in my, in our books, it isn't right. But because it's not even occurring to these other folks that this is a potential, this could be potentially easier for everyone, including them, if they approached mm -hmm. it from a different place, but they don't even have that lens open to them to see. And I think, you know, one of the pieces to Astea is something called Adhikara, which is translates to basically like competence or the right to have, or the right to know. And, you know, that is what is missing is mm -hmm. we have the money to fly there and do the trip and do the things and abuse the culture and pillage the crops and stay mm -hmm. at the resorts and everything and then fly home but do we have the emotional 
Mm-hmm. Adhikara, the emotional competency and the energetic competency to live in reciprocity on some level, even if we're flying cross country to go vacation. Somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Can we live in reciprocity and be respectful of what it is that we're doing, which is going into someone else's culture and pretending and acting like it's ours just mm-hmm. for the taking mm-hmm. that is not actually true. It is not ours for the taking. And well, the- that's, appropriation that misappropriation is what Estea is about right it's like taking something that doesn't belong to you and appropriating it in some way to make it fit your agenda or to make some gain right like that's exactly what this is yeah yeah so in Estea the philosophy itself this idea of Adhikara is that we actually don't get to have things that we haven't earned the right to have we don't get to know things that we haven't earned the right to know like for example you want to be good at hockey well, if you don't know how to ice skate, you're probably going to get a brain injury or a black eye at the very least. Fall you're, down a lot. Yeah. You're going to fall down a lot. And you don't have the right to be good at hockey because you haven't spent the time learning how to skate. And, you know, that's a very basic rudimentary example, but that is that is the reality of this work is, is that you have to show up for it and you have to get clear or focus on what it is that you want to be good at or know or have. Like if you want to be a millionaire, well, you better be pretty good at finances. You better be able to spend wisely and, and you better know how to make money mm-hmm. you know, or exchange prosperity in some reciprocity based way. Like these are realities. If you want to be able to, you, anyone can win the lottery, but if you suck at money, if you've got money stuff, you're probably not going to keep that money. You're going to blow it in some way or spend it irresponsibly, or we don't, that's obviously very relative, but you may end up in a couple of years with no money. I mean, look at hockey again, a lot of hockey players, they do exactly that. I've heard these uh, stories of people who don't know how to handle money. They get so much money from what they do in their work. And then in their fifties, when they retire, they have no money. Well, why is that happening? There's a reason why that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, with with the mastery, I think of it as mastery, like the same thing, Adikara and mastery kind of hold that same place together is that that helps me remember because we're we're human too. So we're gonna get frustrated and we're gonna want more than we've earned the right to. And we're gonna want the other person to show up to the conversation and like participate in a way that feels fair. And it doesn't always go like that. And so this part of that is for me to to come back and to sit into these three tenants particularly because I felt the armor I felt the lying I felt all of these pieces and I was it was really fascinating to watch all of them move against each other like you were talking about earlier and like okay well what am I going to do with this like what is it that I need to learn and I'm like the mastery for me is to learn how to say what needs to be said in a way that doesn't hurt, you know, but sometimes the truth is it's a punch in the face. Like sometimes that's just how it goes. And like to sit in, in, and watch these three pieces move off of each other and take responsibility for my part of where I could have done something different or where it didn't land or why am I so triggered by this? What is so active in me around this? And then that way I don't steal from my own experience. That was one way, way for me to save a little bit of this piece of me that felt like maybe because I made people uncomfortable. I made my, my partner uncomfortable. I made people around me, my friends uncomfortable because it's awkward to say the truth sometimes to strangers. And uh, yeah, I, I had to sit with that and like, well, if I don't actually own my piece of this and if I don't actually know that what I said was truthful and, and 
what I needed to say, I actually steal from my own opportunity of this, this path that I want to unfold in my life, which is telling the truth, <laughs> letting the truth move things to stay open-hearted. And I, I admit my heart was probably not very open when I said those things, because I was pretty mad. Um, but I came back around and looked at it, you know, like maybe there'd be a different, and that's why I gave him, I, I let him have the thumbs up, you know, <laughs> I was just like, all right, <laughs> at the end of the day, <laughs> but I could come back and look at the places where I had stolen from myself in that opportunity to unfold this in a way that was maybe a little bit more aligned with these tenants and, and then also be okay with, with how it unfolded in its own right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so much in what you just said, I'm like, ah, I got to unpack this. Okay. So two things that came through for me or three, actually, that I want to address around what you, what you shared. The first is when you're talking about, um, mastery and how this, you see Adhikara as mastery. And I love that. I, I agree. I totally feel that as well Is the more I practice something, the more I practice something in the heart of Adhikara of like, I really want to earn this right, Mm -hmm. you know? dog in the dog training industry that I'm now in, like, that's a huge focus for me is I really am earning the skill set every single day with like hours with different kinds of dogs and getting more complex dogs that I'm dealing with and things like that. Right. And so I'm, I literally can feel like every fiber of my being is being twisted and turned and flipped upside down and like all these different perspectives and ways to build mastery. And it does take time. I mean, they say it takes 10,000 hours or whatever, but yeah. And so this is why that, that we always are talking about this as a life practice because it takes takes your whole life to build this. But that piece that you were talking about that triggered for me was this idea that, you know, if we want something, then we have to give to it. And it's, that's usually the desires that are leading that charge. Like we want more than we actually have earned or whatever. Mm -hmm that is ambition and ambition is there's nothing wrong with ambition in a healthy dose. And ambition does actually drive our society. It's how I was raised. Like it is not necessarily a negative quality. It can be, if it's overdone mastery. Yeah. Yeah. Mastery can be negative if it's overdone, like anything Mm -hmm. overdone is too much and too much then becomes harmful it, it isn't real. And it usually lies. Like it usually has all these, these tenants all fall apart inside of that. So that's something that I've really worked with myself is this, um, sort of waxing and waning of my ambitions and noticing Mm -hmm. when is my ambition stealing actually from me? Totally. Because I have harmed myself hugely in my own ambitions over my life in various ways. And when it has always come down to me looking at it, I always see that there's a not good enough underneath it, or I'm not, oh, worthy, yeah. I'm not worthy or, you know, yeah. there's, there's a scarcity or a lack there. Like you were speaking to earlier. I really yeah. do think that lack is the heart or the root cause of a stay happening. Um, and then the other piece that I wanted to speak about was you talking about how you made people uncomfortable when you said the truth at the, at the shuttle bus and God, if I don't know what that feels like, like (laughs) in the space now, and then it lands like a ton of bricks and everybody averts their eyes, their boots. Yeah. (laughs) And you can slice, you know, Mm -hmm. slice through the air with the tension. I think the, the truth is, is that as a world, it seems that we are not very good at holding tension anymore. Oh, yeah. 
And I think we've talked about this before in another podcast, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but I do think that's what you were feeling when you're saying it's uncomfortable and awkward. And it made my partner kind of feel weird. It's like, yeah, it puts everyone on edge and it should be. The truth is sharp like a knife. Yeah. And it should put you on edge because what we're actually trying to do is build some effing resilience. (laughs) We're trying to grow our ability to be with the truth. So when the truth gets laid down, like a heavy hitter, there is a feeling of like, oh, it's like reverberating in this tense way. And we actually have to learn how to be with that. Yeah. Yeah. And it does, it caught, it created a ripple later in the airport with my partner because I was still work process of it, of like, like just, just moving through it all. Right. I just, I stayed with it because there was residue after for me. And, you know, he said something that was kind of like, kind of challenged me. Like, can you just let it go kind of feeling? And I was like, Whoa, I'm going to go for a walk, (laughs) you know, like, and so then I had to be with that fucking thing. But the tension in, in those moments is where we grow, right? Growth is uncomfortable. And so I, you know, maybe five years ago, I would have just let it go. And I would have bitched about it for the next 20 years. Like this, this story of these two people who I never said anything to, and I'm just not living like that anymore. And there's an opportunity for all of us, even the people who were not participating in a very engaged way, in my opinion, (laughs) there was an opportunity for us to just come together and let the tension move it, you know, into the truth of like, okay, I've just put this in the, in the circle, which I know all everyone here is thinking, or a lot of you are thinking and who's going to rise up here. Who's going to stand in the tension and hold this with me so that we can actually shift what's happening, which is also on a global scale, a problem to me that a problem I see and a problem that I want to be a part of the solution for. And it, it was just really interesting. There was lots to say when we weren't in the tension of the moment on side conversations, but in that moment of holding that tension and me standing there by myself, there was, it was a lot. It was a lot because yeah. you have to practice that shit. Cause it's horrible at first. It's just like, whew. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of Hannah Gatsby in Nanette, oh, the net yeah. where she does her whole bit. Yeah. And at the end then talks about who she, like what comedy is about and what she sees it as. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know what she said is true because I feel it when I watch comedy, particularly when I watch her comedy, but anybody's mm-hmm. comedy who's speaking on mm. about people in life it, it, the whole purpose of a comedian is to build tension and then cut the tension with the punchline or the joke. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason why we like it is because the, it always ends well. <laughs> yeah. It always <laughs> ends with you feeling comfortable again, but yeah. there's something in our nature yeah. that likes tension. Cause otherwise, why the hell do we go to see a comedy show <laughs> where we're just feeling on edge about getting heckled the entire time or whatever. Right. And then yeah. and there's this, brilliant punchlines. It's, it's fascinating. So mm-hmm. it, it's in us to do this. Yep. Humanity. It really is. It's just, we need to work the muscle of it a little bit more. And, and I yeah. think we've lost some of that because of social media yeah. and the news and everything over the last, you know, seven, eight, 10 years. And that is showing itself in these types of dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's what I feel like if I don't stay with stay and if I don't continue to practice that, then I'm going to continue to cultivate this belief in myself that I don't have the resources to 
trust my life. That's what it feels like to me because the opposite end of it is scarcity where I'm grabbing at things that I don't even need or want, or I'm comparing myself to people who matter not, (laughs) you know? So this, this tenant of, of not stealing reminds me that I have resources. I have internal and external resources that are here for me to trust in and allow the unfolding of my life. And so I don't need to grab, I don't need to compare myself. I don't need to steal other people's time. I don't need to one up. I can, I can cheer for my friends. Like there is a, there is a difference in the way you move through the world when you can operate from that place to remind yourself there is enough to go around. And I remember feeling that during COVID, it's like, I felt the impulse to hoard. I felt the impulse. I'm like, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to do this either. But if I don't get it, then I'm not going to have any because everybody's hoarding. And I was like, oh my God, that's the bloody mentality that's got us into this mess in the first place. But the tension of that alone was like, okay, I actually have to trust Mm -hmm. that I will have what I need. Then I don't have to get into this um, individual lane of not seeing my community or thinking like, well, what's the worst that's going to happen if I don't have pasta? I'm freaking gluten-free anyways, you know, like just grabbing for grabby's sake. And when I come back to those places, when I feel myself getting, when I feel that activation of like comparison is a big one for me of like, I'm not doing it good enough as everybody else in the world. It's like, you can't do that. You have what you need and it doesn't look like what other people have and need. And if I keep coming back to that place, the tension of that goes away because it's a lie and it keeps me armored. And then it keeps me, it it makes me not be truthful in my life. So then I come back to those first two tenants. I'm like, oh, I can't throw those out the window. Like these three, these three weave the most beautiful story together if we're willing to stay with it because they're slippery (laughs) and one of them will slip between your fingers and you'll grab onto the other two. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, but what about that? Like, I, I love the dance of these three together. It, it makes me feel so whole when I can look at these three working off of each other and depending on what I need in the moment or what's happening in the situation, I can come back and go, okay, like, what is this? What's the root of this? It's like, oh, you feel afraid that you're not going to have enough. And so I can acknowledge that. I'm like, okay, that's actually okay. You're allowed to have that. So what are you going to do with that now? You know, like, how are you going to navigate this in alignment with all of the other pieces of of who you are in the world that don't want to grab and take more than you need and covet and all of the other things and compare myself and put other women down in order to raise myself up, right? Like it's complicated. It's a really complicated thing. And these three move off of each other in, in the most profound ways. And they can really bury you at times if you're not paying attention. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I love that you weaved tension back in again, in a new way. I Mm. think that it's actually a more, pivotal piece to this puzzle of Astea than I originally thought, you know, tension is actually the result of Astea, like of not living in alignment with Astea. You know, I, I too struggle with, with the competition piece and certainly as a, a female, as a woman, um, that that was kind of what I grew up thinking I was supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big, the other really big one is, time, stealing time. 
because I'm, I'm busy, busy, busy. Workaholic is definitely always been a struggle for me and in, in over committing and being a yes person. And so I would be a yes person because I wanted to be a people pleaser because I wanted to be nice. So that ties me all the way back through Satya, all the way back through Ahimsa. And I'm also full of shit. So I'm lying about it too. Like it's just this hilarious, you know, weave of these three. And yet what the result is when I rush through my day and I overcommit and I don't have time is tension. I go to bed usually with a headache. I have pain in my body. I have a cranky interaction with my partner and maybe my animals, you know, like it's just, there's tension and it takes away from my experience of life. It steals from my experience of life. And, uh, you know, in my twenties, I was flying so fast with my hair on fire, working three jobs, going to university, partying on the weekends. Like I was doing it all. And I was an athlete. I, I, it was obscene, the amount of stuff I was packing into the wee hours of every day. And I don't really remember my twenties. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, I don't have very many friends from my twenties that have made it through because they were doing either doing the same thing as me, or they liked that version of me. And I'm definitely not that version of me anymore. So on many levels. So it's, you know, Deb talks about how, if you don't earn that, ex- that experience, you lose it, it gets taken from you. Mm-hmm. And I do find that quite fascinating when I look at aging and memory and what we get to hold on to inside. Cause the only thing we get to take with us when we go is memory, <laughs> what we felt in our lives. And if we are not present for our lives to feel the things, then what do we have when we're on our deathbed? We have nothing, literally nothing. And that is impetus for me to <laughs> present. And uh, it's fascinating because when I was, Uh, witnessing my mom as she got sick and my mom died of cancer. And it was about like a four to six month window between diagnosis and and last breath. And I remember how just so strong Estea was in my life at that time, Mm. because I was so aware of not wanting to take away from her death experience, Mm. knowing that it wasn't what I would have wanted for her. Right because I had my own filters about who my mom was or wasn't in the world and her wounds and her trauma and blah, 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 all the things that I had as a daughter and, and as, as a friend, an adult friend to my mom, you know? And, uh, so I was so aware of it. And I just remember so many interactions where we would be together and my mom would want me to talk and I wouldn't talk because I knew if I was going to say something, it was going to take away. And so I just, I just was silent and it, that's really challenging for me, <laughs> especially in that dynamic when it's the emotions are so heavy in the room mm-hmm. and my mom's asking me to cut that tension for her, but I can't cause I just, I can't take it, you know? So that was, that was mm-hmm. both very beautiful and very hard. And then on the flip side of that, all a bunch of people in my family and, and people in my community that were affected by my mom's health and demise, you know, were taking all kinds of stuff away from me in that experience and not seeing that I was in the heart of the suffering right there next to her the entire way through. And I had, I'm, I'm a human being, so I had some trouble with it. You know, there were some days I'd come home and I would scream about it to Ari, like how angry I was at their inability to see what was really going on and how hard this was for me but mostly I just kept it to myself and managed it. 
and, and a lot of it, I was able to just release knowing that they were in pain and grieving too. Yeah. Yes. Um, and thank God that I had that. Thank God that yeah. I had this, this paradigm of these three tenants to really fall into and, and rest inside of, like you said, I trusted my life. I trusted my mom's going. I trusted her dying. Like this was what was supposed to be happening because it's what's happening. Yeah. I was able to land there in a way that, man, if that had happened five years previous, like man, oh man, could have been really disastrous outcomes for me health wise and family wise. You know, my brothers and I are closer than we've ever been as a result of happening. It could have gone a very different way. Oh yeah. 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 I, the, the anchoring of those things when you're going through something as, painful and beautiful. Like the journey that you took with your mom was, it was so beautiful and so raw and so vulnerable. And you stayed like you just stayed the whole way. And I I agree that those tenants were the backbone for you on so many days where it was like, Oh God, like, how am I going to do this today? Right. And to be able to hold yourself in that. And I mean, that's ultimately what we need to do with these tenants is like, how am I going to hold myself when shit hits the fan and when life gets really, really hard? Because that's when, that's when we need to really call on this to support us. And that's when it's the hardest, right? To not go into the pattern, to not go into the old way of being and to like call on these reinforcements to hold the pieces of you that need to be held when we're going through things that are traumatic like this. And also to allow the beauty of of her process to unfold within all of that, right? Like it's, it's such a, it's such a complicated dance, those two things. And only one person gets to grieve at a time. (laughs) Like that's you, somebody's got to hold it. And then somebody's got to be in grief and like to, to go back and forth in those places, you have to have a deep level of self-awareness. Otherwise it could get messy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful that you had that, experience and also so you know so painful you know it's it's both it's both yeah it was 100% both and that's the harshest truth of all is that it always is and always will be both and the greater skill and adhikara competence mastery I get it being a joyful person (laughs) the harder and the more the more brazen the heartbreak yeah it's like they are equal and opposite and it's just like one of the rudest truths of my life <laughs> well that's the truth of nature right yeah. nature is harsh and the, the the more we sink into our true nature the more we we take on this dance and we we go along and we let it unfold and we try not to interfere so much and we stop stealing from other people and we keep our hearts open we keep fucking showing up to tell the truth like the, the more aligned we are with the actual truth that nature is friggin' harsh, the natural world gives zero fucks about your agenda and your desires and your wants. It's like, this is happening. Like it's March 5th and it's snowed a foot. This is happening people. So, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with that? Are you going to sit at home and complain? Or are you going to put on some snowshoes and go for a walk? Like this is the reality of, of the, the gifts that are available to us when we do this hard work and we let these, we let these tenants get their hooks in us and you can't unring these bells. I'm sorry, but you can't like you, you can burn that book, but this shit will come back and find you when you've done this work. And 
if you have a brave heart and some compassion, some level of compassion for the world and yourself in it, it will lead you down the most beautiful path and it won't always be easy. That's just the truth of this work. It's just, but there's, there's beauty in what, in, in the pain, you know, the, 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 the juxtaposition between these two places is that you can actually talk about those experiences and feel the gifts that came with it as well. Right. But from that growth and that experience of holding it for her while she went through it or whatever, whatever life hands us, that's, that's excruciating where we feel like we can't take another breath, you know, those moments that we all experience as humans and it's part of the human condition to suffer. So to have these, these roots or whatever you want to call them, I just, I'm so grateful for them. Like, I just don't know where I would be without this work. I just don't even want to think about it. It's like the twenties that you were talking about. It's like, Lord, I don't know where I would be. Like, I do not know where I would be. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, you're talking about the sufficiency, this idea that there's enough to go around. Uh, one of the things that's really helped me with that, besides reading Lynn Twist's book, The Soul of Money, which was <laughs> phenomenally powerful for me from the capitalism standpoint of like looking at mm. what wealth and prosperity actually mean to me. Yes. Uh, and starting to shift that mindset around like having and have notting and instead of living within a, a, from a place of sufficiency and understanding what that actually feels like in my cells. Yeah. Uh, it was really powerful. So I highly recommend that book. She does a podcast with Oprah too on, on Oprah, that one, whatever her podcast, I can't oh, remember. The own, own network. Yeah, she does an interview with Lynn Twist and it's, it's really well done. Perfect. Yeah. That's uh that's excellent. I recommend that you guys go at least listen to the podcast and then you'll probably want to read the book after, but some people are podcast people and you probably all are because you're here. <laughs> uh, the other piece that I was going to mention that really has supported me uh, is this idea of reciprocity and really looking at well, what does that actually look like in my life? And mm-hmm. one of the, one of the ways that I have really worked with reciprocity is through celebration. Hmm. One of my friends really helped me with this and just sort of, as I was coaching her and working with her, the the idea of self-celebration came up a lot and she really struggled with it. And so I challenged her to come up with different adjectives that describe how she would feel or what she would do if that was possible. And Jubilee was one of the words that she came up with. And, you know, Jubilee means a whole bunch of things, but we celebrate Jubilees when people turn certain ages or have certain Mm -hmm. wedding anniversaries and things like that. And so it's, it's like this monumental occasion to celebrate. Mm -hmm. And I started to just think about like, every day is a Jubilee, you know, (laughs) what if every day was a Jubilee? What if that was actually a reality that was possible? Even if it was just one minute of the day or that moment when I open my eyes or when I celebrate someone else, which is kind of where I started. Cause it was really hard for me to celebrate mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still struggle with that. And, uh, so turning it outward is easier. So I started with that. And I was just like, celebrate people, celebrate, just always tell people if they've done something that's touched, moved or inspired me, you know, and just share that. And to me, that was my best option of reciprocity at the time. And then it kind of slowly crept into me being able to celebrate the moment, mm-hmm. even when the moment was so hard or mm-hmm. painful, or, 
you know, particularly with my health, celebrate the movement I do have this day or the pain-free moment I had this day or, you know, small things like that. And then it started to kind of grow flowers from the roots, you know, and has Mm -hmm. gotten so much easier to be, um, in the jubilation of the moment, even when mm-hmm. like Ari and I are in the plane line going to Arizona and the <laughs> front of us is complaining about this such and such. And just like your experience, you know, being able to hold that level of energy in a frequency when the vibe is lower out there mm-hmm. in the world, it's helped. And then I often find something comes back, like someone flashes me their pearly whites and gives me a smile. <laughs> you know, I something happens and I'm like, ah, that's that's the energy, you know, like this, I know it sounds super woo woo and I'm not disregarding that some days it's just really shit and it's painful. (laughs) I don't like being a human. And I just kind of want to say, fuck all of it because that's also my experience sometimes, Yeah, Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm not trying to belittle the difficulty and the pain, but I do think that to learn reciprocity, I used celebration and it really, it helped me a lot. It still helps me a lot. Yeah. That's really lovely. And I can, you've talked about it before of like how the world meets you when you, when you tap into that energy, like you, you have very, because you're aware. So you're going to see it come back to you, right? Like, yeah. And there's something, there's something very lovely about that. Even if it's just for a glimpse, right. It's just for this moment, I'm going to just be here. And I mean, gratitude is powerful, right? It is just another form of gratitude of, of being okay with what, what is right in front of you, you know, and yeah, I mean, that is, I think that is a good form of reciprocity. And I use, I use nature for that same feeling of like, I don't, I don't just go and take shit out of the forest anymore. I don't just take my favorite rock, you know, like there's, I met this really amazing woman who took me on forest walks here in Calgary. And uh, she talked about how we could talk and ask, ask permission to take things from the forest and like, talk about woohoo. I'll see your woohoo and raise you a woohoo. <laughs> woohoo! <laughs> because there is but there is something about tuning it's it's a different frequency but it is tuning into the energy of like well what do you need this for what is what is the purpose of taking and it comes back to the stealing thing it's like are you just taking it because we covet all the things and we want to have all the things and or I had this beautiful moment in the forest and I want to have this memento of like take it back and put it somewhere in my house where I'll never look at it again, or I'll look at it and go, Oh, there's my 25 rocks that I took. I don't even know where they're from. Like it's, but it checks you, right. It's like, okay, well, what, what is this actually about? What is this, this piece about? And I'm just been way more able to just be, to take the picture of the moment inside of me and just leave it and just let it be because otherwise I grab, you know, and we kind of chase those feelings in those moments. Every time we go out, we have, it sets an expectation or whatever, rather than just letting it be this moment in time and just letting it be that a beautiful moment in time. You may remember, you may not. And that's, that's okay. That is, that's part of a stay up for me too, of not trying to grab onto every little thing, but to just, it's like the perfect example for me is when, when I go to a concert and everybody's got their phones up and they're recording the concert. I'm like, you're missing the whole damn thing. You think that shit's going to look good when you watch it? It's going to look like garbage and it's going to sound like garbage. You're going to hear the person behind you singing instead of the band. That is to me a perfect example of like, just be in the moment. And yeah, you might not remember, but I tell you, I remember the first concerts I ever went to and sat front row before the cell phones. And I know I sound like a grandma right now and my kids are going to call me a boomer. But it's the truth. It's the truth that that 
to be in that moment is, is to be in reciprocity with, with our life and to just be, be there. Like that is such an, an honor when we're out in the forest or we're engaging with people we don't know in the world. There, there is, I don't know, there's something about it that it doesn't need anything else. It doesn't need it to be taken anywhere other than just being experienced in the moment. That's how I feel it. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love that you said that you like to just take a picture in your mind and carry that inside. That has brought me so much peace. Mm -hmm. Uh, Someone who has like a lot of family history of Alzheimer's dementia and bad memory. I'm so always been worried about not remembering, not remembering, not remembering and like not being smart and forgetting my life, you know? And so when I discovered that I don't have a ton of tangible memory, before my thirties of what happened in my twenties and teens, like there isn't a lot. And most of the things I remember are negative. Mm. Oh shit. Like that, it, it, that's mm. what sort of got that worry going. And now I, I, I have adopted this philosophy that you so eloquently explained, which is I'm here. I'm here so completely for this experience. Like I was just at Alicia Keys in August. And I remember like we took a couple videos, but mm. 90% of the concert I was so embodied. I was like right there and I had the time of my life and I will remember that so beautifully forever. It makes me want to cry. Like it was so powerful to be with two very close friends with a woman I deeply respect. Alicia Keys, is, she's legit. And so a lot of the people in there are also similar yeah. type of people. So I could feel this energy, right? And she she conjures that too in her concerts. Okay. Let's talk about this, peeps. Like she'll bring it up. And so it was so beautiful to be there. And I can go there right now as I'm talking yeah, to you. Yeah. Feel it inside because I was really there for it, regardless of the photos that I don't even know where are on my phone. Right. You know, right. <laughs> I'd have to go dig them out. So yeah. I just yeah. I think that is such a it's such a beautiful way for us to to work with this tenant is to just be be with our lives as they're happening in the good, the bad, and the shitty, like <laughs> to just show up as holy as we can with them and not try to grab onto the the more desirable things, you know, to chase those things. Like this is, this is part of the ride. And there's something that happens when we, you know, we stay in the moment. There's something visceral, there's something cellular in my body that changes when I feel myself and I'm so aware of how present I am and I don't need anything else I don't need anything else. I just need to be in that moment and um, be grateful and honor it. And yeah, it, it, there's, it, it's, it's hard. I, th- I find it hard sometimes because people are like, oh, you didn't take any pictures when you're in Costa Rica. And I was like, shit, you're right. <laughs> I didn't take yeah. any pictures, but somebody always takes pictures. Like I just, I'm not willing to sacrifice what I get from not taking the pictures in order to have the pictures, Yep. you know? I'm like, somebody will give me a picture. (laughs) It begs the conversation all over again of other people wanting to see pictures of your trip is it's actually not their business to see pictures of your trip unless you want to share it with them because that's (laughs) your trip. And, but we're so used to posting our whole life on social media and a play by play of all the cool shit we're doing so that everybody else can live our lives with us. That is theft in the best way, like in the most like seemingly benign way, but it's, it's still the same thing. It's still you having an experience of someone else's life. That's not yours to have. 
And if I handed you my photo album and said, let's look at these together, that's, that's a different story. Right. But, but it makes you wonder why we, why we keep posting the things like, and I mean, if you want to talk about time being the greatest way to steal from our lives in any way or shape or form, social media is going to be right at the top of the pile. Like if if you look at your usage on those apps, it will kind of terrify you. Right. So what are we stealing from in that? Like that, that is also so complicated. We're stealing from ourselves. We get into the comparison. I mean, like, oh, their life is so much better than mine. Look at all these perfect pictures of Costa Rica. And meanwhile, you know, I came home and had diarrhea for five days. Like I didn't post that shit on the internet. (laughs) There's, but that's part of the problem, right? Like that is where we, we get into this, this tenant can get really messed up in social media. Oh Yeah. Yeah. And then you get into your own narratives around how you're not going to, then the lack comes back. Right. And you're right back in square one and you're just doing the dance all over again. And then you got to unwind it all. So it, it's, it is a, tri- a tricky one to do and it's, it can get activated so quickly with social media. I find for yeah. myself, I have to be really present when I'm on social media yeah. and really, really quick to get the hell out of there. Yeah, for sure. Just go do the, do the business you need to do it. Not to go. Yeah. It's dangerous to linger, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but it's because it, the, to the ingredients of Astea are integrity and reciprocity. And there is neither of those things thriving in social media spaces, unfortunately, not saying that people aren't going on there with integrity, but the general dynamic of the way that system is set up is without reciprocity. It is without integrity. It is designed for attention seeking quick laps, like it's profit-based. There's so much. Yeah, exactly. It's consumer-based and commodified. So it's very difficult to maintain that level of integrity and Mm -hmm. to have it be reciprocal. Like it's just so I I love when you were talking about being, you know, you it's the holiness of it. And we're not talking holy in a religious sense. We're talking holy as in WH, you know, feeling whole the more we have these moment to moment experiences where we're really there, the more integral we become. It's like our bits and pieces get stitched together. And the result is like you say, this feeling of holiness, this feeling of wholeness that Mm -hmm. we get and nature can be the provider of that. So many things can be the provider, Mm -hmm. right? Because nature's the greatest example of it Mm -hmm. because she's just sitting there whole and complete, no matter what stage Mm -hmm. she's in. And that's how she can teach us. But it's, it's, uh, at first when I started learning about this, these dynamics and I started to feel it, I didn't feel whole. <laughs> like if I was trying to tell the truth and I was trying to not steal and I was trying to do no harm, it was a nightmare of a mess coming out of my mouth and always with tears. And I would feel very fractured and broken and like pathetic and not good at it. But every time I did it, like that moment when you stood at the shuttle and you were like, this is actually just a conversation. You know, (laughs) you stitched something together in that moment. Something else in you got stitched together, like the the wholeness of you. And you planted a seed for it to happen for everybody else there too. Whether they do anything with it is up to them. But we get to have more of ourselves. That's what I think you mean by the word holy. Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I love that. Cause I think it's hard to articulate what is the point of doing this work, right? It is. And the word heal comes from to make whole like that, that word comes from that. So 
the the beauty of it is that you heal in those moments as well. Whatever it is that needs to be healed is healing, whether it's in your consciousness or not. And so I feel like every time we do this work, whether we're aware of it or not, whether it's, you know, coming from a place of like, I want to heal this wound in myself, or I just want to be in connection with other people. Those two pieces just come together so beautifully. And there's something that happens when you are fully in the moment and you're not trying to get anywhere and you don't have an agenda for something. And it's, it's just being and not, you know, the ambition that you talked about, that's a huge one too, right? That, that just takes us so out of it often. I mean, like you said, there's nothing wrong with ambition and it tends to get overdone with us. Right. And so there's something that happens like at the retreat in Costa Rica, when I was just sitting with these women and we were just, we were just being with each other in all of our shit. And, and there was a wholeness that, that was arriving in all of us as we got more clear. And we decided, you know, to listen to each other and hold space, right? Like to hold space for somebody and not talk over them or to have your story be more important than their story. Like those are all parts of this tenant, right? Of like, just let the person have their experience. And yes, we relate through our own experiences and our stories. And I know that's a tough one in this book. If you, if you ever do go through this book, that is one that really pings people in my experience of leading that. It's like, well, I'm not trying to make my story better than theirs. I just really had fun in Disneyland too, you know, like, and we use story as a way to relate, but there's something about the pause, right? This sacred pause of just letting their story just fill up all of the room and everybody to just hold it and take it in and be present with it. And then, and then it moves on and yeah. And then maybe you have a story to tell about it, but there's, there's something about holding, holding sacred space in and honoring silence and um, not just waiting for your turn to talk, you know, that play really well with this tenant that can really teach you some things about um, how, how good of a listener are you, (laughs) you know, like, can you just be with the other and, you know, maybe your story rises up and maybe you just, just let it be. You just let it settle back down, you know, instead of like everything that's coming through our head is barfing out of our mouth, which it's a practice. It's a real practice. And like you were talking about, it's like, sometimes people want us to talk because the tension of, of just being witnessed in their own story is awkward because they're not used to being seen. Yeah. Yeah, It just really, I, I just love this tenant for so many reasons other than the stealing part of you know, this, the, the actual idea of taking something that doesn't belong to you of just like, there's so many ways that you can just, you can be such an ally to the people in your life by working with this tenant. Yeah, totally. Um, one of the last things that I popped on my notes about Astea, which is kind of a one for the ladies for sure. <laughs> is when someone gives you a compliment, mm. Just say, thank you. <laughs> that practice just about mm-hmm. killed me. <laughs> Jamie's nodding saying, yes, yes, hundred percent. Very relatable. Um, it's hard to take compliments. I like to deflect. I like to send it back to you with more better compliment. And it is stealing when we do that. If someone mm-hmm. is in authenticity with the compliment, they're really complimenting you from their heart and mm-hmm. you push it back on them or Mm -hmm. deflect it and push it off to the side of yourself and you don't actually receive it. It's really, it's awful actually. Cause I've, I've obviously complimented people and had them do it. And it's like, don't you hear me? Like, Mm -hmm. I want you to receive this. Can't you receive this? And they, and they just can't. And it just leaves you hanging there like a monkey on a tree branch. It's like, Oh, 
well, that didn't go the way I wanted, you know? And so that's a good example of, you know, we're both stealing from ourselves in that moment because we can't receive the beauty and kindness of whatever Mm. their words are. And likewise, we're stealing from them because they didn't get to be, they didn't get to be generous. They didn't get to give to us the, what they wanted to give. They had to take it back. Such Um, a beautiful example that we can all work on. It's so hard though. Like you say, thank you. All the shit goes through. It's like every negative thing I've ever called myself will come up in that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Like reckon with that somehow, you know? So you, there are simple little ways we can do this work without having to like, have it be your full-time job. Yeah. I think that's a really, that's a really good example. And when I'll riff off of that, I think that's another working piece is, um, to let people support you. Um, and that's, I was nodding because I remember when I had to let all these people in my life do things for me. And I was used to being the doer of all the things and to receive support is like what you were talking about. It's in the same, it's in the same arena as the compliment, but you know, as women and mothers and what the role that's handed to this archetype is, it's brutal and it to unwind this is really hard and to let somebody and watch it with your partnerships and your friendships, your really close friends who want to like do something for you. You won't let them like, what the hell flip it. That's how I started to learn is like, but you do this for people all the time and you want to support people. Mm. So you have to, you have to receive it because this is reciprocity. There has to be a give and a take. There has to be a dance in the relationship. Otherwise it's out of balance Mm. and just let, people support you. Don't let them take over your lives. That's not what we're talking about. But if you are, have a cold and you have two kids at home and somebody wants to bring you some chicken soup, just say, thank you. I would (laughs) love that. That is amazing. You know, this is, but that's not easy. That's not easy because there's whatever that means. You, for me, when I would let people help me, it means that I don't have control of my life and I don't know how to do my life. And so I need people to save me because I suck at doing my life. Like that was the narrative I had, which is absolutely ridiculous in hindsight, but it was, it was living strong in me. The martyr was strong, but that those are two working pieces that you can start to explore this tenant with that are really, really, they'll be right in your face tomorrow morning. (laughs) (laughs) This will show up real quick. So those are two pieces that I think you can, you can look at in your own life and you don't have to necessarily do anything, but just start to notice, you know, when somebody wants to help you, what's the first thing that wants to come out of your mouth? Like, have you even received it? Or are you just waiting for your turn to say no? Like just, just something to look at and watch. I think those are two really easy, not easy, but accessible pieces that will show up really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are two good, two good starting points. Um, and James and I are, uh, in the process of creating a course offering for all y'all around the Yamas and Niyamas. So we are going to be putting together a beautiful, really accessible, um, in all the ways course, online course to look at this work and then get some more tools like these that we've just given you. So these are just some tasters and stuff you can go start to play with, but keep listening to the podcast and stay tuned. Cause we will, uh, have more information about this. If you're curious to deepen into the work a little bit more and get some more tangibles around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Me too. So do you have anything else you wanted to to add to the conversation before we wrap? No, I just got to ask you your question. Yeah, so, right. I know. You ready? Week. I'm never ready, but I'll do I my know. best. I'm going to be in the moment and I'm going to tell the truth and I'm not going <laughs> to. 
it's a fun one. Good. <laughs> well, in light of my house being infused with zombie shit right now, I, okay. So I hate zombies. So my biggest fear in my life is being chased. So even if I love you and you chase me, I'm going to freak out. I'm probably going to lay down on my back and kick my feet, which is what I do. I don't like being chased. So I don't want to have anything to do with zombie movies. I'm not interested. I don't want to hear it. La, 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 la. They, they filmed that whole show. What is it? The Last of Us? They filmed that whole thing here in Calgary, Alberta. Like I watched the scene go across my, my partner's bridge outside of his house. It's legit all about this zombie apocalypse happening in my hometown, which I'm not happy about. But <laughs> I have a daughter who loves zombies and my partner, Brent, loves zombies. They just, they can't get enough of this shit. So I go in my room and put my earbuds in and they watch it really loud in the basement. And so my question, (laughs) zombies zombies are right here. We're in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. What three people do you have with you? Oh, I love this question. (laughs) I love this question. Wow. (sighs) So Ari, definitely. Because Ari is a prepper. So he'll make sure that I'm fed. And he'll make sure that our house or our wherever it is that we end up having to live is protected all the ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And he knows a lot of people. So he can also help us be connected to other people who can help keep us safe. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah, from a safety and a provision standpoint, definitely Ari. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, you, because you are one of my favorite humans, uh, if not one of the most favorite humans. So I, if I'm going to die by a zombie. I want to be hanging out with you when it happens. Um, so there's that. Uh, I do think you'd be quite resourceful because you're very strong and you can throw down. So if we had to go up against zombies, I actually think that you would show up pretty good. So I would, wow. oh. I, I put my money on you because we would okay. turn and face, we would turn and face them. We wouldn't run away. We'd, we'd be like stakes. In my the heart. stomach literally did a flip when you said that. I'm not kidding. Like I, uh, my, my, my mind goes, oh, she just wants me to, cause she knows I'm fodder. They'll take me before her. <laughs> oh my gosh. You think I would sacrifice you? Self-sacrifice. Cause I'd be laying on my back, kicking my feet, which as you know, does nothing to a zombie except make it easy to get to <laughs> you from the bottom up. Oh, okay. I, 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 the compliment. Thank you team. You're welcome. Um, okay. And then I have to pick a third person. So, hmm, this is hard because there's like different options, things that you might need. I know. Mm. Think about it. You need things when this is happening. It's not about friendship. I know, but there is part of it. That's always about friendship for me. If I don't, if I'm with a bunch of people, I hate, I'm just, I'll peace out. I'll just go with zombies. Just get eaten. Just yeah. take me now, zombie. Take me now. I'm so unhappy. I need my people. Um, so who would it be? Who would it be? It has to be someone I actually know. No, no. Well, I, would, I, would, I would want the Incredible Hulk. That would be my other choice. So he could be super smart and resourceful and tell us all of the things to do when he's not the big green man. And then when we need like Smackdown laid, he could just go be the Hulk and then we'd be good to go. It's because of who I'm married to. I can't see it. It says the Hulk. (laughs) 
on my piece of paper. Okay, people, I know you can't see this because this is not a video podcast, but literally the Hulk is on my list. <laughs> and if you know me, I'm terrified of the Hulk because when I was a kid, the Hulk used to chase me through the through the darkness every night. And then before I'd wake up, he'd be like, I'll get you tomorrow. Rawr! And I was terrified of the Incredible Hulk almost my whole life. <laughs> I, I'm still not a big fan, but... <laughs> I know he could he could rip some shit up. He could rip some zombie heads off. Yeah, totally. So this is about utility, right? This isn't about who you like. So I actually picked something I'm terrified of, but I'm more afraid of zombies. So I like the Hulk. And I had slash James Bond because James Bond's a sniper and any of the James Bonds, but preferably the the most recent one because he's and the and the least sexist one. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't I, this is utility. You're so funny. You're like, this is all business. I don't got time. No, because I need somebody to pop them in the head, right? Like, yeah. that's how you kill a zombie, apparently. Just you kill, right. shoot them in the head. Um, and then I I would take RE2. He was on my list because of the same reasons you had. Because I know he's going to make me a snack. He's going to have a snack in a bag that I just have to add water to. I'm, and if it happens to hurricane or earthquake, he's going to have a safe spot for us. Like, probably up high so we can see the zombies coming. Plus, he's a cop, so he knows how to shoot. And he's a jujitsu master, so he can do all the things. Like he's front line, so I I can be behind him. So he's definitely, and he probably has a shield because he's a cop, so he can probably get access to all the things that we would need. Yeah, he's full utility, and I and then I won't be hungry for snacks. And then I I have Ken's my daughter because she's very very well versed in this world, and she's funny. So I feel like she would like she could serve some purposes. And also just probably have some comedy gold for me while I was there because I'm going to be a wreck. Yeah. 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 Kenzie was on my short list. I will say that you can. Yeah. Okay. I will. It's it's a hard list. It's a hard list. I go right to utility because I'm terrified. Like I'm like sweating right now thinking about this and I'm a little bit. Thanks for not including me. I'll just, I'll just remember that for the future. Because I love you. What are you going to do? What do you got? What are you? Besides besides being lovely and keeping me totally entertained and talking nonstop. But the thing is, is if we talk nonstop, the zombies will find us. You can't be there because we won't be able to not talk. (laughs) But this is true. You have to be quiet. You know that you just told the world that all I am good for is being lovely and talking nonstop. (laughs) For me, as my my sidekick. But what are you going to do in the zombie apocalypse? What do you got? I'm listening. I, you know. That's skills, man. I I can I can stake some shit. Yeah, can you run with me on your back? No. Then you're no good to me. Like I I know you could run you faster. You've than- got two legs. You train for <laughs> freaking triathlons and shit. You are just fine. I'm not gonna lie. I thought you were gonna bring Zenya. Well, I thought about it, and then I'm like, I can't handle it. I can't handle my dog getting eaten by a zombie and turning into a zombie dog. Because then I'd have to kill her, and I can't. So that's just I can get get eaten. You can, <laughs> but I just realized but your husband and your best friend. That's good enough. <laughs> this is the best conversation ever. What if the People Hulk don't... gets eat, eat, chew, bit by a zombie or eaten by, then he's going to come back as the Hulk zombie. Then we're all completely fucked. But then I have Ari there because Ari and I are going to have a hard conversation at the beginning. And I'm going to say, if shit gets bad, just take me out. Like just that. And we'll make a pact. No, I've thought this through, Linz. I've been thinking about this for a couple months now that this show's been on. Oh, like, what would I do? Part of me thinks I would just end it because of the terror that I have of being chased. I don't know. I hope you're still listening <laughs> because we really want to hear who you would take with you on your <laughs> if you were in the middle of a zombie book. 
Yes, don't okay. pick either of us. Clearly, we're not going to be the ones. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's good. Okay, well, I'm going to post this up on our uh, social media and um, yeah, get in there and tell us what, what you think. And then check out our link tree and uh, for how to get a hold of us and kind of what's what's coming down the pipe. Yeah, our link tree is now in our Instagram bio. So on there, we will have all the most recent podcasts linked right there. You can click right to it. We will also have our Gmail newsletter uh, link on there. So you can receive more information about the course that we're going to be running in the spring. And in the future, all the things that we got going on, we'll just post up there. So be sure to check it out. And uh, as always, we are so grateful that you guys listened and are here with us for these cool conversations. We hope that you're enjoying and we look forward to hearing about your top three zombie friends. Remember, it doesn't have to be friends. It can be utility. (laughs) All right. We'll chat with you soon. Ciao, guys. That's a wrap. We sure hope you've enjoyed this episode. Linz and I are committed to a no-edit recording as we want the conversation to be as authentic as possible. We have a big vision of a transparent and fully expressed world, and allowing ourselves to be heard uncensored feels integral to that pursuit. In addition, our mission is to wake up, shake up, and raise up all authentic voices in cultivating a collective community of rebels on purpose. We are honored to invite you to join the circle and to share your rebel voice in our community. Community is built and sustained through participation, so circle up and engage with us on Instagram at Rebels on Purpose. If you enjoyed the show today, please drop us a review as this helps us widen our circle and lets us know what you'd like to hear. And lastly, from our fiery hearts to yours, we call you to speak up, be curious, and call forward the sacred rebel that burns inside of you. What the world needs is humans who are fully alive, living a life on purpose, and honoring all that is sacred.